Asymmetrical Haircuts, Justice Update, with Janet Anderson and Stephanie Vandenberg. Hi, Steph. Hi, Janet. So, a big week we've just been through, the former president on trial, the world's press paying attention, you know, these passionate supporters out on the street complaining about the unfairness of targeting a former president, coverage across all the networks. Yes, the trial of the former president of Kosovo, Hashim Thatchi and others at the Kosovo Specialist Chambers here in The Hague. So tell us, what's the backstory, Steph? What do we need to know? Well, before we get into that, I wanted to do an acronyms primer because I think we'll be using a lot of them. The KLA is the former guerrilla organization in Kosovo, known as the Kosovo Liberation Army, hence KLA. You're going to hear about the SBO, the Special Prosecutor's Office, that is the uh, prosecutor of the uh, Special Kosovo War Crimes Tribunal based in The Hague, which we'll talk more about after. You need to know JCE, Joint Criminal Enterprise, which is an acronym we'll hear in this trial, and ICTY, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, which was... In a way, the predecessor of the Kosovo Tribunal, but a lot of the, some of what is happening here was also dealt with at the ICTY, and we'll see a lot of similar people. So why we have a special tribunal for Kosovo in The Hague, and why this is not dealt with by the ICTY is twofold. Mainly, at some point, the ICTY had to close down, and the UN was restricting money for it, and there were some cases that then were not opened. And after it, after the ICTY finished, uh, one of the former prosecutors said, oh, I, I would have liked to have more Kosovo cases and here is some evidence that I would have liked to bring. That uh, prompted an investigation by the Council of Europe. At the time, it was like a sensational report by uh, Council of Europe a politician Dick Marti, a, a Swiss senator who basically said that there were allegations that the KLA under Thatchi had been involved possibly in organ trading, but that there were allegations of war crimes. Everybody titter in all of Europe, we can't let this stand. And so uh, lots of international pressure then built on Kosovo to accept a kind of hybrid tribunal and to look at KLA war crimes, because uh, Kosovo had also tried to try war crimes in Kosovo itself by a European law mission and, uh, and other courts. But the problem is Kosovo is very small. Everybody knows everybody. Uh, the former rulers of the KLA are now the political leaders of the country in a large part. And so it was very hard to get people to come forward. There were a lot of cases of witness intimidation. Uh, so with the uh, pressure of the international community, Kosovo agreed. And actually Hashim Tachi himself signed the law to get a special war crimes court embedded in Kosovan law but it would be staffed by internationals and seated in The Hague to solve this problem of witness intimidation. I don't think when he signed the agreement that Thatchi thought that he would end up himself before court, but here we are. So he's one of the people on trial, so tell us more. Hashim Thatchi is the quintessential guerrilla leader turned politician. He uh, used to be the spokesman for the KLA during the Serbia-Kosovo conflict in 1998-99. He is very political. He's well-spoken. He's basically built his career out of being a principal leader of the KLA and then parlayed that into a very big political career. And for many people in Kosovo, he embodies kind of the struggle for independence of Kosovo. He is the one that took up arms uh, to get uh, Kosovo where it is. And he's on trial with uh, a couple of former colleagues also 
from the KLA, but obviously he's the uh, star attraction with this. But what are the four men charged with? They are all essentially charged um, with being principal leaders of the KLA at the time of the armed struggle, and they all turned politician after that. And they are accused of basically hatching a criminal plan to get control over all of Kosovo, including political life of Kosovo, by targeting people that they saw as collaborators with the Serbs, but also very much political opponents. So the the office of the prosecutor is very much focusing on the fact that they are looking at crimes committed against mainly other Kosovo Albanians and a lot of other Kosovo Albanian opposition politicians who they say were kept in detention centers, beaten, tortured, and sometimes murdered just to get like their rivals out of the way. So what actually uh, happened in court during this week, uh, start of uh, the trial? How, how was it? Well, for me, uh, I was following it from a distance, uh, but the people who were there said it was like an ICTY reunion. There was a lot of faces uh, who covered the trials at The Hague were there uh, from the Serbian media, but also from the Kosovo media. And also the court itself is kind of stacked with ex-ICTY people. The acting prosecutor at the uh, Kosovo court is Alex Whiting, who used to work at the ICTY. There's Alan Teeger, who used to do the Srebrenica trials at the ICTY in the prosecution's office. But also on the defense side, Tachi's lawyers, Gregory Kehu, the man who, for, who famously at the ICTY got Croatian general Anto Katovina and acquitted of war crimes. Uh, there is Luka Misetic, another lawyer at the ICTY. So it was a kind of everybody you've seen at the ICTY uh, was kind of hanging around there. In a way, it's fun to see, but you also kind of see that the, these tribunals get staffed by the same pe- the same people who know the story, I guess. And I know we can't go in detail to absolutely everything because we've got hours worth of material that you'd have to get through to explain what's uh, prosecution, defence and Thatcher himself said. But why don't you run through for us um, any of the elements that you think might be of interest to to our audience. How did the prosecution kick off? The prosecution kicked off by mainly outlining this joint criminal enterprise, which they said the fact that there were these camps, the fact that people were intimidated, and mainly stressing, again, as they do with almost any uh, Kosovo trial here in this court, that they're not trying to put the armed struggle for Kosovan independence on trial, but that there are individuals who committed bad deeds and they have to be punished, and mostly that the victims of what they're talking about were mainly Kosovo Albanians because they don't want to be seen as biased and um, looking at only crimes against Serbs, for example, while the Serb forces also did horrendous things in Kosovo itself, which is something, of course, that the defense is going to harp on. What I felt was interesting is that Alex Whiting specifically also warned of the dangers of witness intimidation, which is, as I said before, a big theme in Kosovo trials. A challenge that will run throughout this case is the climate of witness intimidation that exists in Kosovo. It is real and it is pervasive. It is part of the reason why this court was set up in The Hague and this court has repeatedly found in its judgments and decisions that the intimidation continues to this day including through the labeling of persons who cooperate with this court as collaborators and traitors. There is no doubt that this climate will be very much a part of this trial and it will enter this courtroom again and again. It will take courage for witnesses to testify here 
And without question, we will see witnesses summoned here to this courtroom who will not want to tell this court what they know, and at times what they have stated before, because of fear or because of some misplaced loyalty to the accused. And we also had some opening statements from the defence itself. Yeah, on the second day of the trial, the defense, as I said, also an ICTY reunion situation for me, they held a really scathing opening statement where they essentially said um, the KLA was decimated by Serb attacks. It was in disarray. Thatcher was not in charge at all. He had no control, but local commanders uh, did uh, whatever they wanted. But they also said that they didn't dispute that some crimes may have occurred. President Thatchi does not deny that crimes were committed by some Albanian excuse me, individuals during and after the conflict. He informed the U.N. Security Council of such in a public hearing on the 17th of December, 2018. But he rejects, and the facts militate against the SPO's claim that the crimes were committed at a matter of policy of the leadership of the KLA. He also rejects the SPO's claims that crimes were committed in a widespread and systematic manner on a scale alleged by the, FB, the, the SPO. So we have the outline there from uh, both sides of some of the elements of how they're going to present their cases. But uh, did we also hear from the defendants themselves? Did Thatchy himself speak? Thatchy himself spoke. He was the consummate statesman. He told the judges that they would embark on a journey of truth and justice together he was stressing that Kosovo was on the right side of history, basically stressing the legitimacy of the armed struggle against the Serbs. But he also apologized in a very roundabout kind of way. Let me make myself aware of this occasion to say that I feel sorrow and pain for all the victims of this terrible war, regardless of their ethnicity, religion, or political views. Victims do not obtain justice when the innocent are pursued. One injustice cannot be cured and corrected by another injustice. I am innocent of all these allegations. So this is a classic politician. He kind of apologizes, but not really. On the other hand, he also said he would be vindicated and that he was wrongly targeted and that, uh, you know, the fact that injustices happened on one side doesn't mean that you should carry out injustices on the other side. I'm not sure whether I'm going to cover this uh, intensively myself, but I was aware that this is going to be something that's going to run and run. Um, I had a look at... Uh, uh, some of the documents and saw that the prosecution has more than 300 witnesses that they're planning to to bring and they have a really a very, very large crime base. So that takes you through probably a couple of years. Then you've got the defence again after that. I also found myself um, thinking about one of your acronyms, the Joint Criminal Enterprise, and where I'd heard that before and how exactly that's being argued. It's a very big deal in ICTY case law. Everything was Joint Criminal Enterprise. There's even the joke in, in ICTY circles that JCE stands for Just Convict Everyone. And it kind of fell out of favor with the ICC, for example. They don't have that mode of liability, so they have to look for other things. But this is all uh, Joint Criminal Enterprise all over again. Yeah, I felt I was in a bit of a time warp um, trying to uh, to understand 
this and felt like I had to transport myself back to the uh, 1990s and the 2000s to get my head around it. I uh, put together a um, a preview piece and I had a chat to uh, Janacev Lazar from the Freie Universiteit in Amsterdam um, for me to understand a couple of these legal terms. And the first one that he mentioned was JCE, obviously, but JCE 3. So this is your extended full play version, uh, the EP of uh, Joint Criminal Enterprise. It's not just the plan, but it's quote unquote, for this is from the, the ICTY's case law, the natural and foreseeable consequence of a, of a criminal enterprise. So the prosecution has to prove that each member of the JCE had quote unquote sufficient knowledge of these natural and foreseeable consequences in order to be able to found criminally responsible. So they needed to be able to, to, to see ahead. Yeah, I think that it's always been controversial. It got more controversial at the at the ICTY towards the end as well. We're going to have to see how much the judges lean on this case law if if the defense uh, starts leaning, veering towards other case law. I think the defense is super well prepared. Uh, they had some quite good arguments, I felt, in the opening statement. Tachi uh, was in peace talks for the KLA and they had like a video from Madeleine Albright saying like Tachi was ready to sign, but he had to call, you know, call home and they said no. And so he couldn't sign. And so then they're like, well, if he's the, if he's the leader of the KLA, you know, he should have been able to sign, which is, I think, you know, we'll have to see how they play that out in court specifically. And also the prosecution says there are instances where Thachi himself would show up at detention centers and uh, with other KLA members and take uh, prisoners who were not seen again after that. Um, we also have to see how the prosecution uh, will prove that in court. But so that is the kind of problem of how in a guerrilla organization also, which doesn't have a clear command structure, there's not, you know, there's no tickets for fuel. Uh, there's no administration so much around it as you would see within an army. Uh, that's going to be a problem to link these things to the to the leaders, I think. Sorry to play the legal nerd card, which I think is is normally your your role with this. But uh, the other interconnected legal uh, issue that I was looking out for was that some of the crimes which the prosecutor has listed, like persecution, have to have something called quote unquote special intent that the prosecutor has to prove. And again, I'm just quoting from ICTY case law and intent to discriminate on political, racial or religious grounds if whoever it is, is one of the JCE co-perpetrators. So uh, we're used to intent coming in with crimes such as genocide. And we know that it's a high bar for a prosecution to actually manage to to prove Um what might happen is that the court might decide that maybe some of the people in the alleged joint criminal enterprise actually weren't, um, didn't have that special intent that they were just aiding and abetting. So they weren't actually co-perpetrators. So, yeah, thank you to Professor Lazar for spending some time talking this through with me. He was looking back at ICTY case law, uh, one case also about Kosovo, but from the other side, Milutinovic et al., where the prosecutor defined certain crimes. I mean, if you look at the way that that indictment was put together, certain crimes were part of the main JCE and others 
were specifically the natural unforeseeable consequences. And so they kind of, you know, the, the prosecutor mapped it out for the judges. Um, whereas at the Kosovo Tribunal, when they had the, the pre-trial hearings, the judge there looked at what the prosecution was putting together and said, yeah, really? You're just wrapping it all together? And what about these special intent crimes, the persecution parts? Do you really have the case law to support what you're arguing? That you're saying that all of this, these special intent crimes can be part of a JCE3 case. And Lazar said to me that, you know, if you look back at what other international tribunals have said on Joint Criminal Enterprise 3, this extended play version, they don't say that you can add special intent crimes in there. So it's a long clip just coming up from him, but he starts off by saying what he sees as the prosecution lack of clarity on what exactly they're arguing and then goes on into what international tribunals have had to say. I am wondering at some point during the, the trial, this would have to be specified. It would have to be proven that there was a common plan to commit at least one crime, that they agreed and intended this is the one crime that we are going to commit. And then maybe all the other crimes were a natural and foreseeable consequence, but that would have to be specified at trial because currently the weights in the indictment is not sufficient to, to reach a conviction the way the way it is right now. And I imagine once they then move to, to what are those extended crimes, then the question would be, well, torture and persecution, were they specifically agreed upon? And so they had the common shared intent, including also the special intent required for these crimes to commit them? Or were they JC3 crimes? And that's where the question would pop up, wait, can you have JC3 responsibility for special intent crimes? Because Judge Guillaume seemed to, to believe that you, you can't have that for doctrinal reasons, it's not sound. Um, something that the Tribunal for Lebanon also said, you can't have JC3 for special intent crimes. That was Judge Cassese, by the way, the grandfather of, uh, of JC. Um, and the Special Court for Seattle Alone in the Charles Taylor case also said the same thing. You can't have JC3 for special intent crimes. So this is something that I think would be, I in particular would be looking forward to see how the judges would address this and how the prosecution would address this as it goes through its case um, in trial. So there was a lot of legal theory in there, but maybe we can broaden this out just to finish. Legal scholars will be looking at those arguments and picking them apart. But in the region, this trial is mostly going to be looked out, I think, by its effect on, on local politics uh, in Kosovo. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've already mentioned the way that the defense is situating this in kind of specific historical context um, of how Kosovo was uh, fighting and how the KLA was fighting for independence. Uh, they're going to point to the crimes committed um, by Serbian forces during that time. But I was wondering with your uh, sort of uh, covering this for a long time, hat on. You covered the trial of the former president of Serbia, uh, Slobodan Milosevic. And did you see when you were covering that trial that, I mean, I'm wondering, was it difficult to kind of concentrate on the legal stuff? Did you always find yourself kind of drawn into understanding the local politics as well? Because these trials do have that kind of big effect locally. Um, I think it's a mixture of things. I think especially the reactions from the region are very much fed into the to the political situation there. I think what happened with Thaci is that 
uh, when he was indicted in, in 2020, he stepped down himself and kind of offered himself up to the tribunal and basically gave a, a very long um, um, speech where he uh, said that he is kind of offering himself up for the freedom of Kosovo and to clear Kosovo's name, this and that. And so... So that kind of took the sting out of the the potential sort of effects on local politics. I mean, he said, let's treat this separately. Um, I don't think so. I think uh, it, in a way, his his influence on Kosovo politics was waning a little. There was the uh, the new party Vetvendosha, the populist uh, party for, of a former student leader, Albin Kurti, who who is now in power. Thaci himself was already kind of maybe a little less important on the political scene. His party was no longer running everything in Kosovo. I think this is an opportunity for Thaci to kind of cast himself again in the glory of being the liberator of Kosovo, the elder statesman and this and that, and in the same way that Milosevic got a kind of bump of popularity by portraying himself as the man who tried to save Serbia and who would fight for Serbia, I think that Thaci, uh, you know, has a platform if this trial is in the same way uh, being shown on television and being discussed on television in Kosovo as, as the as the Milosevic trial was in Serbia, uh, to kind of uh, cement his role as the big liberator of, of Kosovo and, and show that side of him, the side that he wants to see, that wants people to see, and maybe they'll forget a bit about all the rumors and rumblings about uh, corruption in politics and things that he might have done wrong there in Kosovo politics. Um, how much do you think you'll be covering this, um, putting on your Reuters uh, hat uh, as news agency? Will they just dip, dip in? I mean, with Milosevic, it was almost daily, wasn't it, when you were working for a different news agency? In the beginning with Milosevic, it was almost daily. I even learned some uh, Albanian because the Kosovo uh, Milosevic case started with the Kosovo case and they had lots and lots of Albanian witnesses. And I sat there every day and the Albanian witnesses always said three things, po, yo, and nukadi. Yes, no, and I don't know. And those were for a long time <laughs> until I came, went to Kosovo, the only words in Albanian that I knew. And yes, we did cover that every day. I, this is not the kind of trial we would cover every day. We do indeed more uh, dip in and dip out. When we know there's big names coming, we would probably dip in. I think also just because the world's attention is now so much on whatever is happening in Ukraine and who's looking at that, that that's where Reuters wants my attention to be. But I, I, I think I'm nostalgic a bit for ICTY and JCE, so I'll probably dip in a little more than, than most in this trial. Okay, well, keep us uh, informed. I won't be likely dipping in uh, so often. I've I've had done with JC. I'm now on indirect co-perpetration and uh, the ICC if I need to get my head around it. But look forward to hearing to whatever you want to tell us about it as the years go on. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to remind listeners that we have a podcast with Elise van Sliedrecht, which is all about uh, JCE, the different modes of liability for command responsibility. If you want to delve deeper into that, that's the one where we go completely law nerd about the different types uh, of JCE and all that. So uh, look for that. And we also have another one with Una Hadari, who explains how the Kosovo uh, tribunal is seen by Kosovans. And I think if you want to understand more generally how the, the world works, then I think both of those podcasts help our audience get their heads around uh, the combinations of the legal side and also the political side. And we'll put links to those on in the show notes uh, for now. Uh, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.
This was Asymmetrical Haircuts, your international justice podcast, created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. Music is by audionautics.com and you can find show notes and everything about the podcast on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. This show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating and spread the word.